Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is July 3rd, 2022. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues in Under an Hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. How goes it, my friend? Oh, good. Just finished a weekend of camping. It's my daughter's 17th birthday today. And, uh, yeah, got a little bit of rain, but, uh, but all good. Excellent. Well, happy birthday to your, I guess, not-so-little girl now, 17. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, But before we get into everything, I want to make a music recommendation okay. to our listeners. Um. There's a, an American, uh, you're probably wondering why I'm recommending an American rock band here, but um, uh, one of my all-time favorite bands is a band by the name of Shinedown. Um, they're a, a, a hard rock band out of the U.S. They, um, they are, you may not have heard of them, but you have definitely heard their songs. They have 30 number one hits. Um, the... Uh, They've got some pretty amazing albums um, dating back 20 years here. And um, they mostly cover topics such as um, mental health, addiction, uh, all of that, because the band sings about what they know. And they all have had these issues with addiction and with mental health problems and suicidal tendencies, stuff like that. So their music is tends to be uplifting um, and really singing about overcoming these internal struggles. And uh, they just dropped a brand new album on Canada Day, and this is the first time I've ever seen them get political. And because up until now, I've, I, 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 I could I could never tell you where they stand politically, but. This album, is, from front to back, is cutting right to the heart of the issues we are facing today with cancel culture, with woke culture, all of this. And you, I think our listeners, because if they're listening to us, they probably hate cancel culture, hate woke culture, and you're going to love this album. Uh, it just... It, it cuts to borrow a, a line from from uh, Brian Adams. It cuts like a knife. <laughs> like, Excellent. It is. It's a great album. There's a song on there called "America Burning." It applies to Canada too. Um, they some bands like to incorporate these interludes between songs that are like you know 15 to 30 seconds long of of uh, instrumental between songs. Their interludes, they have an inter they have 20 tracks on this album with an interlude every third track. And the interludes feature the voice of the state telling you what is acceptable and not acceptable. And it is a great album, and I highly recommend it. It's called Planet Zero. Get it, listen to it, you're going to love it. All right, so an American band with a little bit of Canadiana snuck in there. And, uh, well, that actually ties in with a, an American book that I was uh, have been thinking way too much about lately, and that is Atlas Shrugged. Um, 
if those of you who haven't read it, it's a huge, very, very long read. Even on audiobook, it takes forever. So if you can find a Coles note somewhere, good God, at least find what the gist of the book is about because it is exactly what is happening today. And as we've said on this show before, such and such was meant to be a warning, not a blueprint. Well, that's Atlas yep. Shrugged. So, <laughs> Yeah, Ayn Rand wrote that book and she's amazing. She was brilliant. Yeah, she was. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right, so we've got a good show for you today, Canada. As we said, uh, just because the politicians have gone home, well, politics keeps on going. So, on the show today, you won't believe how many Canadians are going broke now. Happy Canada Day, except in Winnipeg. The Freedom Convoy Inquiry gets those cabinet documents. Brenda Lucky still in the news. And... Good luck getting on an airplane. Where do you want to start, sir? Oh, well, let's just start right from the top. Okay. Well, we've got... Sorry, I think I hear your windshield wipers going there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm driving. Yeah. Okay, so, happy Canada Day in Canada, two days ago. Um, to celebrate Canada Day in the nation's capital... Uh, James Topp, who we've interviewed on this show, uh, Canadian Armed Forces veteran, uh, canadamarches.ca was his website. He arrived into Ottawa to the uh, War Memorial on, well, it's on Canada Day, he walked up, walked up to it. And I love the mainstream media versus people like us. Mainstream media t- would tell you, oh, and he had a, only about a thousand people waiting for him at the War Memorial when he arrived. So, as we always do for you, Canada, we uh, decided to, to look to, to people who were actually there and discovered that, well, there were thousands, plural, marching with Mr. Top to the War Memorial. So, by no means was he walking up there alone. So, it was fantastic. Thank you, Mr. Top, for your service. And it was uh, a great crowd out to meet him in Ottawa, even though the Ottawa police had set up and a lot of barricades to bar vehicles from entering in close to Parliament Hill and had increased fines for, for noise violations and for illegal parking and essentially tried to discourage people from going to downtown Ottawa, but Canadians still went and still celebrated Canada Day. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it, I, mean I, I, I like what James Top was walking to Ottawa for. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it really matters in the end. Um, the Liberal Party and Trudeau are completely ignoring him. They don't care. They're ignoring Canadians in, in, in general over the COVID mandates. I mean, the airports are, are, are absolute... Um, crap shows. Uh, they're already pushing boosters here because they're saying that the fall. That, I mean, they, it's like they they told they told us back in the spring that in the fall the restrictions are probably going to come back. Well, guess what? It's looking that way. I mean, I unfortunately I have to say I think James James Top probably wasted his time. Well, I mean, uh, 
Likely, yes. I mean, at least he was able to send a message. But you're right. The restrictions are likely to come back. We, we keep getting that telegraph to us. But um, I appreciate that he got to Ottawa and at least completed his mission. Now, what was supposed to happen for Canada Day in Ottawa was a flyover by the Snowbirds. And anybody who's Canadian knows the Snowbirds. Well... They were grounded due to maintenance issues, at least that's the official party line, and with 60-year-old jets, I don't doubt it, but what an embarrassment. Yeah, but that wasn't the only embarrassment, because in Winnipeg, they decided to cancel Canada Day and rename it New Day. Happy New Day, Winnipeg. Yeah, whatever the hell that's supposed to mean. No kidding. Good Lord. Speak, see, and now you started the show off by talking about woke culture and cancel culture and the absolute idiocy going on in this country today, and there it is, Winnipeg. Yep, that's it on full display. Good Lord. You know, and uh, I know even here in Saskatoon, we still had Canada Day, but they were, you know, the media was all over trying to tame things down and say, oh, it's going to be a more somber Canada Day this year. And even the CTV uh, local station here had ended their coverage in an article just saying that July 1st commemorates the 155th anniversary of the, the BNA Act. It's like, couldn't you just call it Canada Day like you did to start your article, you bunch of morons? Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of embarrassing. I mean... I, I just, we, you know, you and I, we said this a long time ago, um, at least a couple of years ago, and then it really came up again uh, during the Freedom Convoy, but that the Canadian flag is, is going to be seen as a negative. It's going to be seen as, uh, you know, the way that some Americans view the American flag. Is it being, you know, representing things that it doesn't actually represent? And such as white supremacy and colonialism and stuff like that. It just, the Canadian flag represents our country. And that includes everyone in it. Yeah. And, and I'm just sick and tired of people tearing it down and... It's, you know, uh, it just leaves me a bit speechless because it, it just angers me so much when people do this, especially when, you know, a uh, a city actually renames our national holiday. Yeah. Well, and you think that makes you angry? Let's wrap this segment up by really making you angry. We had shared that article on our Facebook page a couple of days ago. You were out camping, and a Government of Canada document itself labeled the Red Ensign, which was Canada's flag before the Maple Leaf, as offensive, as colonial, and as something that would, you know, be triggering and a hate symbol. So you were actually right a couple of years ago when you were said the the concerns about the Canadian flag becoming a hate symbol because they're trying to paint that red ensign as a hate symbol. This is, this is moronic. I mean, I'm just, I'm just so sick and tired of this. It's like, 
why do we, why do some people just hate themselves so much? Because the only way you're going to, you know, it's like white people angry about colonialism and all this kind of stuff. It, you know what? If if people hadn't come over here and settled this land, and yeah, they stole it, and whatever. Uh, you wouldn't be living in this great country. You, and, and and what I find I find really interesting is that all these people who are now demonizing the Canadian flag and Canada's history and uh, and saying that we're you know that, that white people are all colonialists as if that's supposed to be um, you know insulting um, are the same people who want open borders and want people from around the world to just come to Canada as they wish. And it's like, you, you not see the irony in this? Like <laughs> you're, you're angry about Canada's history of, of coming over here and, you know, stealing the land from the natives. And yet you want to invite more people. Right. Yeah, it is kind of kind of a little backwards logic, isn't it? So, yeah. All right. So you had touched on the uh, the holiday situation uh, a little bit earlier in the last segment there. So let's move into the travel situation. The Canadian government has decided that the Arrive Can app, and Lewis, you have experience with the Arrive Can app, and how yeah. much how much it sucks. The Canadian government has decided that yes, it sucks, but in our opinion, it's a very efficient way to bring travelers and returning Canadians into the country. So the Arrive Can app, at least for the immediate future, is here to stay, even though a lot of foreign travelers have no idea what it is and are surprised they can't just show a vaccination card. And even Canadian travelers, especially seniors, are completely blindsided by it and may still get sent to quarantine if they don't have the app. Yeah, well, 60% of Canadian seniors don't have a smartphone. Wow. So, um, <laughs> like, the, the, the you know, the reason they don't care and the reason they were keeping this glitchy app that doesn't work most of the time, the reason why they're keeping it no matter what is because it tracks us. Oh. And if you think, and if you think that that is some kind of conspiracy theory, um, just look at what apps the government of Canada has recently admitted to tracking us. One of which is a Health Canada app. Yeah, well, the COVID tracing app, and we had dis discussed that one right when it first was being introduced, and both yeah. of us said no, we weren't doing it, and then within a few months, it was like. Oh whoops! Not only is it tracking you, it's actually taking in more data than what than what we told you it was going to take in about you. Yeah, and so if anybody, if you don't think that that's why they're keeping the Arrive Can app uh, up and running, well, then you're an idiot because that's exactly what they're doing. They're keeping it going so that it can keep tracking everybody who comes into Canada. They can track where they go, how much time they spend in different places, all of that kind of stuff. Well, that's scary. And uh, equally scary is that 
despite but, that, but but sorry i just want to i just want to touch on one other thing with that yeah is that that app is a piece of garbage i it took me three days to get our uh, my family's documents all loaded into it so that we could go on a trip and it took three days because every time i tried to load a document it crashed every wow. yeah and, and I mean, it's a good thing I started loading those documents a week before we left because I wouldn't have been able, if I'd started the day before, we wouldn't have been able to go. Man. <laughs> well, and if you were flying within the country, and I know you plan to that later this summer, half yeah. of domestic flights in Canada have now been canceled due to the long lineups, so the inability to make connections, and the lineups at passport offices, I know that doesn't affect domestic travel as much, but day-long lineups to get in for a passport application, hours-long waits to get luggage, and all I can say is this government can't get anything right. No, because the reason for all that is short staff. It's, but, for not, it's not having enough staff. And why do you think that is? Because, because they, paid the them all, they paid everybody to stay home, that's why. Yeah, they paid everybody to stay home for two years. Yep. And now people don't want to go back to work. I'm a business owner. I know what this is like. I had to close an entire division of my company this year because I couldn't get anybody to work it. And it wasn't like I was offering minimum wage. I was offering $30 an hour in benefits. And I couldn't get an, a single application. Yeah. So, uh, and that's what the what problems at the airports are facing, and the airport contractors, and even the airlines themselves. And, I mean, it's not even when even when they do have staff, they can't get the people on the ground, like you know the 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 uh, CBSA and the ACTSA, which I can't remember what the acronym stands for now, but they're they're federal government staff, and they can't get enough of them to process people. So you're having planes that are sitting on the tarmac for hours before they can even get to a gate. And then people are, you know, can't get off the plane fast enough to make a connection. They can't get their luggage. It's, it's an absolute embarrassment. And this time of year is when people usually come to Canada, go check out Niagara Falls, come and see, see the, you know, see Whistler, whatever. And now they're just saying, screw that. Well, and, and a, big, a big part of the delays, too, is the ArriveCan app for international travelers. Yeah. Like, people, people are coming from out of country. They don't even know about the app. And they're getting put into quarantine when they get here. And so they can't travel. They can't. They can't vacation like they planned on or this one happened these people were flying home the ArriveCan app crashed every single time they tried to open it to show the uh, the agents at the airport and so they got put into quarantine because of the app crashing that, oh, yes, I did read that, too. Yeah, and they actually had all their stuff, but, yeah, because they couldn't get the app open. Yeah, yeah. Way to go, Canada. And 
I'm I'm supposed to be going on a, a, a flying somewhere in November and uh, and again in December, and I'm I am I'm really worried about this. Like if they still have it going then, and you know if the warnings we received in the spring that all these restrictions were coming back in the fall, and you know what that pisses me off because this this pandemic is over everywhere like, in the end- world. It's endemic now. Like, endemic meaning it's here for with us for the rest of eternity. And, but the virus has become so weak that it's become a, 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 a head cold for the overwhelming majority of people who get it. Yeah, matter of fact, a co-worker of mine had it a couple months ago and was forced to take a week off, and he said he's had worse head colds than what he than the the suffering from COVID. I had it two months ago, and I and I had to take a week off work, and I didn't. I, I mean, all it was was it was a minor. It was a very very mild head, just a little bit of a sore throat and a little bit of stuffy nose, and I was not allowed to leave my bedroom for five days. Like it was, it, it's completely asinine that we're still doing this BS yep. and they won't let go of it. It's like they get, they got this control. Remember we told you, we told you that once they got this control, they were not going to relinquish it without a fight and they're not relinquishing it. Yep. Which makes James tops March kind of relevant after all, right? Well, it is relevant, except that nobody gives a crap. Yeah, exactly. So. Like the people that matter, right? The ones who make the decisions. It, it's 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 a great message, except that it falls on deaf ears. Yeah, but unfortunately, I have to give the government at least a shade of credit because they've decided they're going to release those secret cabinet confidential documents to the Freedom Convoy Inquiry. Oh, don't get ahead of yourself. Wait until you get the until those documents are presented, and you find out that ninety percent of the sheet is black. Yeah, that's exactly where I was hoping you would go. Is yep. What are you? What are they actually going to get when those documents arrive? Because nothing of worth. Because you know darn well that the anything Marco Mendicino had to say is going to get redacted. Because if anything he said it was a lie, so uh, he'd be fired if his name wasn't redacted out of there and. Yeah, I want to know who's doing the redacting. Well, that's that would be a good question to find out, wouldn't Cause it? Because if, if it's Liberal Party mem- like uh, officials that are doing the redacting, then you can't trust a damn thing that's coming from those documents. Well, and honestly, if they're if they're cabinet documents, it's going to be all the cabinet secretaries that would be doing the redacting. So uh, yeah. So what's so what's the point? Yeah. Well, hopefully Sorry, they find I'm, something. I am. I am fired up right now. I know, that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I got to give Justice Rulo credit because, I mean, as you longer-term listeners know, when this inquiry started, I had zero faith that a, that a Trudeau-appointed liberal stooge judge was going to take this inquiry one bit seriously, but he actually is taking it seriously, and he actually wants to find out, you know, the government's role in it, and not just look at the convoy itself, which is what Trudeau wanted. So I give him credit. I don't know what he's going to get out of these documents. Like you say, there's a good chance that it, they're going to redact the living hell out of them. But 
fingers crossed and hats off Justice Rulo. I, I was wrong about you. I apologize. I hope I'm not going to apologize about anything until I see what his reaction is to a black sheet of paper. <laughs> well, well, good point. I, uh, now I wonder. I want, if, if he if he if he gives the Liberal Party an earful in public, like at the inquiry, and tells them that this is you know BS and everything, then I'll apologize for agreeing with you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and at least one good thing we have is that the uh, this inquiry it will still continue on through the summer, even though the house is has risen for the summer. And there's a I can't remember what the other committee was that was still going as well, but but it's good to see some committee work is still going to go on. So, well, I think the Nova Scotia shooting that one too. Yeah, inquiry. Yeah, yeah. And actually, let's let's talk about that one now since you brought that up. Sure. Because. Um, Brenda Lucky, how the hell does Brenda Lucky still have a job? Let's put it that way. Well, because nepotism. Yeah, I mean it's uh, and it's fully on display. I mean, it's even the mainstream media, who, as we know, are a propaganda arm for the Liberal Party of Canada. Even they are saying there was collusion between Bill Blair and Justin Trudeau and Brenda Lucky to get that firearms information released, and she tried to throw. Uh, Superintendent Campbell, Darren Campbell from Nova Scotia, under the bus, he stood his ground, and almost immediately there was prominent officers from everywhere standing up for him and saying, oh, you can't, you know, deny his his integrity, you can't doubt his integrity, and he's an honest man, and and she's just looking worse and worse every day of this inquiry. Well, and I, and I mentioned to you before the show, I said, you know, I'm positive. I read an article that was quoting a, um, a document or a letter uh, that was corroborating his, his, uh, his um, take on what happened in those meetings with Brenda Lucky. That it, there was another senior RCMP official corroborating what happened and even said that, um, that it was, it was worse than what Darren Campbell said. Oh my gosh! Um, and I've got to find that. Uh, I've got. I need to find that article and post it on our uh, Facebook page because I do. I did read that this week, um, and so I mean it's. Uh, and I think that that corroboration letter actually like says that. Without a doubt, that Brenda Lucky was um, acting on behalf of the government rather than on the behalf of the RCMP. Yeah, and even Bill Blair is changing his tone in recent days, to saying that there was no undue pressure on Brenda Lucky to release that information. And uh, I hate political speak like nothing else. And I know that he's lying. You know that he's lying. Canada knows that he's lying. And yet he's going to continue to lie right to all of our faces, like Marco Mendicino does with the Freedom Convoy. And they're all going to goddamn skate. That's what really, really burns my blood. Yeah. Well, I know. I mean, this whole thing with Brenda Lucky and the Nova Scotia shooting and the um, 
you know, one of the things that really bothers me about this whole Nova Scotia shooting is that uh, it wasn't just a shooting. There was arson, and the and and people died from the arson. But they only focus on the on the on the bullets that flew. That's true. That yeah, pisses me off too. But anyways, the this whole thing with that, this whole thing with the freedom convoy, this you know, everything that has happened in the past six years, going on seven years. I mean, they've been crooked from day one. They have been corrupt from day one. They have no regard whatsoever for the Canadian people and the taxpayers since day one. And yet people keep voting for them. Yep. And nobody uh, there's, you know, if, and, and I've said this before on this show many times, you know, that, that Canadians have an extremely high tolerance for liberal corruption and very, very low to no tolerance at all for conservative politicians. And that, and my take on that, is being proven over and over and over in this country with Justin Trudeau. Yeah, he, he can do absolutely no wrong. And, I mean, Justin Trudeau, and we've said this before too, I mean, Justin Trudeau could kill a puppy on national TV and Rosie Barton would say that puppy had it coming. Yeah. yeah or, or that, that puppy was conservative and everybody would have been, Oh, that's okay. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's but just... but it, it's, but I never in my wildest dreams thought that Canadians tolerance for liberal corruption was as high as this. Yeah. It's uh well, it's quite pathetic. You're right. So, yeah, and, and I mean, I mean, and let's so now let's talk about uh, a conservative politician that Canadians may or may not have tolerance for. Yeah, interesting how um, you know, and I've always thought he was kind of a used car salesman anyway. But uh, Patrick Brown, who's uh, as you all know, is running for the Conservative Party leadership, was well, he's he's been dogged by questions of you know if you. Don't think you'll win the P the uh, CPC leadership. Would you run again for mayor of Brampton? And he has to have that decision and paperwork filed by August twenty third. That's which is obviously before the September tenth revealing of the Conservative Party leadership. And finally, finally, Mister Brown has he's been he's kind of been painted into a corner where he's finally admitted that well I wouldn't run for for MP under Pierre Polyev and I probably need to keep my options open. So, um, hey, sh I almost swore. Um, hey, jerk, why don't you just say, yeah, I'm going to run for mayor again? Yeah, like, I mean, I think he really overestimated uh, his support going into this. Um, I think that he thought that because he has a lot of support in, you know, Southern Ontario, that that means he has support across the country. But that's, you know, the problem with most people in Ontario, in Southern Ontario. Uh, they think that, you know, Southern Ontario is Canada. 
Um, well, more Toronto. Like Toronto is Canada. I mean, there's people yeah. who like if you get outside of the bigger cities, being there, uh, it's funny. Even like even we demonize Ontario, but even if you get outside of the GTA and going toward Hamilton, there's a lot of similarities with people everywhere else in the country. And I know that we and we get we get the letters, uh, the emails to to us. We'll probably get some more from this show now too, because um, <laughs> whenever, whenever we lump them in together, we get those. It's not our fault. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there is a reason why the rest of the country calls Toronto the center of the universe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it's not because you know. There's no reason for it. There is a reason for it. Well, I think so. that Toronto feels like they are Canada, and I, uh, I've, I've actually got to hear that firsthand. I remember this is quite a few years ago when Conan O'Brien came to Toronto to do his show for a week, and I happened to be in Toronto when they were announcing it, and one of the guys was like, "Well, and it, it really needs to be here because let's face it, Toronto is Canada." And I was like, "Oh my God, I want to phone right. I want to phone you guys right now." <laughs> yeah, well, and I guess I mean you can you can look at it that way with uh, like Vancouver. Um, Vancouver is BC, right? Yeah, and, and it's it really isn't. I mean, it's a tiny little dot on the map of, for the entire province, but kind of like the way Toronto is for the entire province of Ontario. Right. Um, but but uh, but I mean, it's. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm sorry to all our listeners in Toronto and Southern Ontario, but my point is, is that I think that you know, as a politician from that area, I think that he thought that his his local support would translate into national support. Well, I mean, I think that we'll just extend that argument. I think that he just felt like everybody thinks the way that he thinks, and he's been surprised to to learn that people from other parts of Canada don't think the way he does. Yeah. And then you've got, you know, that twit from Quebec that thinks that anybody actually cares about him. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and, and if you look at how many people are eligible to vote in this leadership race, I mean, it's Monstrous. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, re- referred to that. So the numbers are out, and actually, just before we started the show, I uh, went, went confirmed. Well, confirmed with the, with the media reports, six hundred and seventy-five thousand Conservative Party of Canada members are eligible to vote. Six hundred and seventy-five thousand, and almost, and I believe almost fifty percent of those eligible to vote signed up during this campaign with Pierre Polyev. Yep, that's correct. Yeah, now the uh, membership numbers just before the campaign began, so before they started selling memberships, there was 168,000, which is a fantastic number already. And yeah, no, that number has quadrupled and Pierre Polyev has brought in, well, I guess when you've added 400 and some thousand members, Pierre Polyev added almost three quarters of all new members just by himself. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a. If he doesn't win, I'll. I I don't know. I, I I'm like, what could I possibly do if he doesn't win? It's like, if he doesn't win this leadership, then I would be at a complete loss of words, and I probably won't do a show. <laughs> yeah. Because I won't be able to speak. Um, 
he's I think it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that he's going to win. I hope that doesn't mean that a lot of his supporters just don't vote because they just believe he's going to win. Well, I wonder that um, because of the ranked ballot system, if, if, if voters have finally figured out that their vote actually does matter because the last, as you pointed out in past shows, that the frontrunner has not won in the last two Conservative Party leadership campaigns. So... I th- I that want- is very, yeah, that's very true. Except that the front runner is never led by the kind of numbers that that uh, Polyev is leading by. Polyev could actually win on the first ballot. Yeah, and I think that's why the voters will be more engaged because I think they realize, yeah. oh, holy crap, we've actually we've actually got to take this seriously. And yeah. Now speaking of Polyev, I have not been overly impressed with some of the stuff that I've seen from him. You know that I've said that on the show before. Um, I have not been impressed with the fact that he won't do any interviews. Like like with Um, our show, because we've asked him many times. Yeah, and and I'm not happy with the fact that he won't do interviews with even mainstream media. Um, I understand why he doesn't want to do interviews with mainstream media, but you've got to do them. And and so it's it's disappointing to see that he won't do those interviews. I don't know if that's advice that he's received from um, from Jenny Byrne. Um, I I've not ever been quite a fan of Jenny Byrne's. Uh, she, I mean, she ran the 2015 uh, election campaign for Stephen Harper, uh, which he should have won, <laughs> to be quite honest. And it was a very poorly run campaign. I have not been enthralled with the advice that, or the way that Parapoliev's campaign has been run so far, like with not doing interviews and and uh, um, and saying some, you know, overly over the top things sometimes, um, you know, proclaiming he's going to fire people when he gets selected and stuff, which you know for some people might ring a little a little too close to um, Trump for some people, like the way he was speaking. Um, I don't think that Polyev is on that on that um, same wavelength uh, at all, but it just might give people that feeling. Um, I uh, the big thing that I see with Polyev is that, and, and this and this is something that you see from, you know, idiots like Warren Kinsella saying that Polyev is isn't providing any solutions he just complains a lot which <laughs> I, I, I I don't I don't agree he is providing solutions they're just not the ones that that Warren Kinsella wants to hear so he just proclaims that no that he doesn't have any solutions I mean and Warren Kinsella can you know take a long walk off a short pier for on for all I'm concerned because that guy, he's now proclaiming that Pierre Polyev could be a racist. Oh, for crying because, out loud. Because James Top has appeared on a, uh, a extreme right wing, you know, white supremacist uh, podcast a, a few times. And he marched with James Top in Ottawa on Canada Day. So that makes him. A racist. 
and that's in Warren Kinsella's latest article for the for the for the Sun newspaper chain. So, uh, if you want to read what kind of a moron Warren Kinsella is, go read that article. Yeah, of course, everything that you disagree with is racist these days. That's ridiculous. I actually appreciate that Pierre Polyev marched with James Top, and uh, and Maxime Bernier did as well. I mean, it's. Uh, James Topp was, I mean, you heard the interview on, on our show, Canada. He was actually just a really genuine guy who saw something he didn't like and decided as a serving member of the armed forces that he still had to stand up for his country. I don't have a problem with yeah. that. No, me neither. All right, so let's uh, jump into our last topic of the day, Canada. I'm impressed we got them all in, so good work, Lewis. You've been fiery and angry, but you've kept it succinct. So... <laughs> <laughs> So here's a number that I hate to see going up, Canada. Last time we talked, it was 58% of Canadians who fear they can't pay their bills. That number is now up to 72% of Canadians who are afraid they can't pay their bills. That's three in four of us, man. Yeah, that's scary, hey? Yeah, and of course, what's the government doing about it? Oh, they want to throw more money at us. And they... and. Krista Freeland's re-announcement of you know, programs that were announced in the budget is just not going to cut it. And even Jagmeet Singh was actually willing to admit that you know, well, all she's doing is re-announcing. She's not helping Canadians today. But, Lewis, how is Jagmeet Singh going to help Canadians today? Uh, like he always does. He doesn't. Right. Because <laughs> he, has, he has a chance to... Well, he could bring the government down. And what did he say about that? Uh, that that wouldn't be prudent. Right. Why force an election to maybe, I don't know, give Canadians a chance for a new government or that may be willing to offer some help now? No, no, no. Let's just keep the same corruptocrats in power. And Yeah. But we all know why. We do, because they're broke. Yeah, the NDP are broke. The NDP can't afford a campaign. They never want an election because they can never afford a campaign. Isn't it funny how the left-wing parties that do have a lot of support in this country, the NDP and the Liberals have a lot of support in this country, they never get the donations because their followers don't believe and anybody paying for anything except government. Yep, leftists want everything for free. They don't want to pay for anything. So. And that's why the NDP is always broke. Yeah. God, that's kind of ironic, isn't it? It is. <laughs> so, yeah, but so, Jagmeet Singh is a tool and an idiot and a moron. And we've said that on this show every week for six years. Yes, we have. <laughs> and, he, uh, and he keeps proving us right. But, um, and to I mean to wind the show up on a more sour note because we haven't been sour enough throughout the show. Seventy-two um, percent <laughs> is not the number you want, especially when inflation keeps going up. One in four Canadians have said if interest rates go any higher, they're going to have to sell their homes. And yep. I know I'm seeing that here in our local market. There is a ton of homes up for sale right now because people want to you know, get out before the interest rates start going out so they can get their house sold. And uh, I got a funny feeling that we're going to land a lot harder from this one 
than we did in 2008. And uh, oh yeah, I'm yeah. I'm really concerned that I mean when you've got 72 percent of us that can't make ends meet already, or at least are afraid of how they're going to make ends meet. You've got a quarter yep. of us right now that are concerned about paying their mortgage. What's going to happen when interest rates go up three or four percent over the next couple of years? Oh yeah, no, I know. I mean, I, and I I think you're going to see interest rates go up a full. Uh, you know, 1.5% higher this year alone. I think so, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's scary. I mean, it, this is... The government can do so many things to alleviate uh, inflation, but they're refusing to. In fact, they're doubling down on what caused it in the first place. And they're going to force the Bank of Canada to drive us into a recession to stop the uh, inflation. The problem is, is that that's not going to stop the inflation. We're going to end up with something called stagflation, where the where the, uh, the we remain in a recession or the economy remains stagnant, and yet the value of our dollar will keep tumbling. And inflation will keep getting higher no matter what happens with the economy. And that, my friends, is one of the most dangerous. That is the most dangerous position an economy can be in. And the thing is, is that we're this. The reason this is going to be much worse than 2008 is because in 2008, the central banks dropped their rates as low as they possibly could to keep the economy rolling. Whereas this time they have to keep increasing the interest rates to stop the or to to slow down the the inflation. Now, in two thousand and eight, we didn't have a shortage of anything. Right now, we have a shortage of everything, and they're saying that food is going to be a problem come this winter because there is a fertilizer shortage and our our crop yields are going to be much lower this year. And then we've got, you know, Revenue Canada, or not Revenue Canada, Health Canada, mandating warning labels on red meat that's going to tell you how horrible it is for your health. So you're going to see, a, you know, a, probably a decrease in meat production too. So we're, we're and, and government is doing all of this. They're the ones driving it all. And they... But they've gaslit everyone into believing that it's the corporations doing this. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's, it is sad because the government is sticking with their stupid talking points of, oh, we're helping make life more affordable with, with, with daycare. It's like, well, not everybody has kids, but even for those who do, promising cheaper daycare next year or you know, at the end of this year isn't helping now. And where are they going to get all these daycare workers? And that, yeah. Because there aren't enough already. And and it's like, the, the, the biggest problem is, is that the government's solution to uh, life affordability is to spend more money and take it out of the hands of, you know, the individual or out of the hands of the corporations and they... They or like like health insurance companies, 
and put it on the taxpayer. Well, what happens when you do that? You got to raise taxes to pay for it, which is only going to make life more expensive. The other thing that does is it increases inflation, which is also making it more expensive for people. Yep, it's a vicious circle. It's a vicious circle. It's a catch-22. And every single thing they do makes all the problems we're facing worse. Yep, absolutely right. And uh, that is actually a good place to wrap up the show. Government yeah, because I'm going to have a heart attack. <laughs> okay, that's not funny, but it is. <laughs> I, I don't I don't want you to have a heart attack, but, uh, but yes, we're going to have a collective heart attack if our governments don't smarten up and stop making things worse, period. Yeah, and that's why we need someone like Pierre Polyev, who, if he even does half of what he says he's going to do, is going to make life substantially better in this country. Yep, there we go. Hey, there's a, a somewhat positive we can end the show on. That's rare. <laughs> yeah. But, but let's go with that, Canada. So uh, thanks for joining us today. And until next week, you may hear a rant or two in between now and then. But until then, it is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada. <laughs>